You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Worney, and joining me on the line for our M19 crash course is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, you ready to get going on this? I'm so excited. I haven't done anything magic related today. I've been saving it all for recording the podcast with you. You're a fiend. You like <laughs> did a set review with Semulin earlier this morning and then you stream for like four or five hours. I don't know how you're still talking magic. Yeah, I'm, I can give you one word. Obsessed. I'm doing great. I can't. I'm very excited to talk about the set. This is my favorite time of magic seasons is getting to talk about the set with you. I feel like I get such a leg up for the pre-release and for the start of the set and my favorite thing which i didn't really even have to wait to get this time around was the comparison of our top three commons it's always such like i keep checking the spreadsheet to see if you've entered them but now i didn't didn't have to wait much today how are you how's your magic life and general life oh life is good it's busy bands getting into full swing we got our marching band show music going so i was working on like changing a lot of that arrangement the past couple days and checking out the spoiler all day today for three or four hours it takes a while just to like get a grasp on the set so i feel like i'm ready to go i'm ready to ready to talk m19 i got my arguments all fired up for where we got grade differences (laughs) yeah i even went to the odds calculator (laughs) wow oh i can't wait to see what you went to the odds calculator for all right so we do our set review a little differently here. So we call it the crash course because we're not going to be doing a full card-by-card evaluation. We are going to approach it from more of a statistics perspective. We like to look at a lot of the commons and uncommons and what they represent in terms of power and toughness and converted mana cost for creatures. We look at the removal, how it matches up against the creatures. We're going to look at some general categories of things that are important for limited, like mana fixing, life gain, mana sinks, wraths, all that good stuff to give you a pretty big picture of how the format is going to shake out. And then we'll talk about some cards where Ben and I had uh, pretty big grade differences. So we did go through and grade all the cards ourselves, and we'll make that spreadsheet available to you all. But we are not going to talk about every single card. We'll talk about the cards where we had big differences, and then we'll give you a sense of what we think the top commons and uncommons in each color are. But before we get into any of that good stuff, we got to talk about some other good stuff, the Patreon page. Heck yeah. We do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, and it is going strong, boys and girls. This is the place to be to give back to the show if you want to. Uh, the show will always be free, but uh, we really appreciate people who, you know, want to show their support financially. They feel like the product we're offering them is uh, something worth supporting, and we really appreciate that, and we want to try and give back to those folks, give them a little some- something extra beyond the podcast. And the base level, for just a dollar per episode, we'd like to give people access to the Lords of Limited discussion discord channel which is just the best i mean there's just constantly conversations going on about limited there that is where you can get just that extra fix that that extra set of eyes on your draft deck that extra set of eyes on what your 21st 22nd 23rd card should be people looking at your draft log where did i go wrong or what should i have done here you're going to get a lot of different feedback from not only me and ben but from a lot of our listeners a lot of the the folks who are are part of this this community that we've created you can get access to our show notes for a higher tier donation you can get access to a little pre-show recording to see us prep for the show only minutes before we go live Uh, and we also (laughs) want to shout out folks who come to the patreon each and every week so we've got a few people to welcome this time around i want to thank matt adam jed jimmy kevin and andre thank you thank you thank you your support means so much to us 
Yeah, it is so cool. To, I really do feel like we have a community, and it's cool to see it yeah. continue to grow every week. You guys are the best. For sure. Like I said, we did grade every card in the set in a spreadsheet that you'll get to see. You'll also bonus, because I did do this, the set review with Travis Sowers, a.k.a. Semulin. You'll get to see his grades in the category as well, or in the spreadsheet as well. But we've got some letters there, and people are probably familiar with this grading system. where We're using the limited resources A through F grading scale. But just in case you aren't familiar with that, we want to run down sort of how we take each letter grade to mean its relation to limited cards. So Ben, you want to start us off with what we're talking about with A's here? Yeah, A's are your bombs, your game winners. They're good in many situations, especially when you're behind. Some of the best cards in the set, bomb rares, and hyper-efficient removal spells. So some examples of A's from Dominaria, Icy Manipulator, Demon Lord Belzenlock, Lyra Dawnbringer, and Siege Gang Commander. B's, these are strong cards that pull you into a color slash make you want to play that color. Reasons to be in a particular color or combination of colors. These are going to be the best commons and uncommons. So we've got Time of Ice... Eldest Reborn, Sarah Angel, Wizard's Lightning. C's, your solid playables, the meat and potatoes of a limited deck. They're very interchangeable. Average creatures, normal removal spells. Some examples of that, Pegasus Courser, Blink of an Eye, Death Bloom Thalid, Gitu Chronicler, and Yavamaya Sap Herd. D's are the sometimes playable, below average, 22nd, 23rd type cards, Knight of Nubinalia, Ben Fuddle, Cabal Paladin, <laughs> Keldon Warcaller, Arbor Armament, those kinds of cards. F's, your unplayables, cards you should never put in your deck, or weird rares, Skirk Prospector, Kamal's Druidic Vow, Thran Temporal Gateway. You know what makes me really happy about that? That in all my dirtling and messing around, I did not play those three cards, except for Druidic Vow to try and get a, an achievement. But I didn't play those other trash cards. I'm so proud. Thank you. I'm trying to make you proud. Sideboard cards. So we'll give a couple like additional grades attached to letter grades. So one of those are going to be sideboard grades. These are cards that don't make the main deck, but when you board them in can be quite powerful. So unwind or pierce the sky or broken bond, though sometimes you may even main deck those kinds of effects. Yeah, those are a little tricky because you main them in Dominaria, but I doubt you'll be main decking those effects in M19. Yeah. Some build arounds. Dominaria had some sweet ones. Cards that don't do much on your own, but when you build around them, it could be good to great. Lich's Mastery, Antiquities War, Morari Conjecture, Traxos, Scourge of Krug. We've also added our own little take here of synergy cards. So cards that aren't quite good enough to build around, but provide good synergy if they're in the right deck. So think of cards like Daring Archaeologist or Board the Weatherlight from Dominaria. And this is normally when we take a look at new mechanics for the set, but there are not really any new mechanics for Dominaria. There's one returning mechanic of double-faced cards in Nicol Bolas, and that's going to be a mythic rare creature that can flip into a Planeswalker. But other than that, it's all evergreen mechanics coming back. Yeah, and there's not really like anything to talk about with that flip card. It's just like you pay an activation cost, exile it, and return it to the battlefield tapped, and you can only do it at sorcery speed. Or not tapped, uh, return to the battlefield flipped. So I don't really know. That's not much to talk about there. So all the other mechanics are going to be evergreen. Yeah, I think so. So that's going to lead us into some stats, baby. So we're going to take a look at some average power and toughness stats for, for commons and uncommons. So we've got 60 creatures at common. And the average power and toughness for those creatures, the power is 2.35 versus a toughness of 2.6. The median power and toughness for those creatures is 2 and 2. The mode power and toughness for those creatures is 2 and 2. And the range of power is 0 to 6, and the range of toughness is 1 to 7. So this is about what we've seen in previous sets, it feels like. 
Seems a little smaller to me. A little small. Like, I feel like maybe we're looking not quite at what we had in, like, Dominaria or Rivals, but something akin to what we maybe had in, in Ixalan. That felt like a format of gray ogres, of bears, I should say, because we don't know what their converted mana cost is yet. Uh, <laughs> Spoiler or maybe, alert. Or maybe yeah. I do. I don't know. I, uh, what do we got going on in the uncommons? In the uncommons, they're slightly bigger, which you would expect. Uh, the average power is 2.43. The average toughness is 2.85. The median power is 2, and the median toughness is 3, and the mode is also 2 and 3 there, respectively, for power and toughness. And the range in power is from 0 to 7, and the range in toughness is from 1 to 7. So slightly bigger on the uncommons there. And an average, you know, median of a 2-3, as opposed to a 2-2. Yeah, Talarian Scholar. I mean, that is kind of a big difference. That's going to, you know, having bigger butts may means that blocking is going to be better, probably. Maybe. We'll see. Not as big of a range of power and toughness. Like, if we think of what we had in Dominaria, like Yargle as a 9 power creature, or Slinvoda as an 8-8. Eight eight. You know, we had really big effects, or, or Grun, which could be kicked into a 10-10. We're, we're, we're dealing with some more tame creatures here, even at the uncommon level. The Colossal Dreadmaw is still loose, though. Colossal Dreadmaw! The goose is loose! <laughs> 6 mana, 6-6 six, six trample. I'm going to be casting some Colossal Dreadmaws in this format, I can tell. That card is huge. So we've got 107 creatures creatures total at common and uncommon 65 have power two or less so pretty big more than half almost like a third have power two or less two-thirds you mean almost two-thirds thank you yeah 50 have toughness two or less um, so about half and 17 have toughness one which is important because there is a little bit of x1 hate going around and i think you want to think about like when you have something that you know there's a, a creature that enters the battlefield and deals a damage to a target you know a lot of the the x1s have have a bit of a target on their back against some cards yeah i think that one toughness we'll take a look as we get into some of the card degrading differences but i think that one toughness is going to be a big knock against some cards i agree Moving on to our converted mana cost stats for creatures. The average converted mana cost for creatures in the set, common and uncommon creatures that is, is 3.36. The median is 3, the mode is 3, and the range for casting costs is from 1 to 7. So we did spoil slightly, so you're sort of looking at a format of Grey Ogres. 3 mana, 2 twos. Yeah, may maybe with the uncommon mixed in there, we've got like... It's close to a format of Talarian Scholars, like three mana two threes. But yeah, this is three mana two two format, which we have got a lot of small critters floating around. What is there anything that, that you think of right off the bat when you think of small creatures, a format of, of primarily two twos? Well, I think if we look back to Ixalan, that was very common also, right? It was pretty underpowered. Mm -hmm. So one of the main strategies there was suiting your creatures up with auras. And we're going to, I think we're going to take a look at that in depth a little later in the Crash Course. Yeah, for sure. So one of the most important things, I think, when looking at the speed of a format in our in our sort of limited, no pun intended, time approaching sets like this is how removal stacks up to creatures converted mana cost or the the converted mana cost of removals stacks up to the converted mana cost of creatures and how the the way the removal interacts with creatures stacks up against the power and toughness of the creatures so we've got 21 common and uncommon removal spells total the average removal spell cost is 3.14 so that's 
pretty good. That's like pretty even with the average CMC of the creatures. Yeah, you're getting like a 0.2 mana advantage, maybe a slight mana advantage. Yeah, I mean, and this isn't an exact science because we have, you know, some some cards that we're counting as removal are, you know, maybe more on the tricks side of things or whatever. But uh, so we've got 12 removal spells at common, 9 at uncommon. And most of the unconditional removal, which is important, costs in the 3 to 5 range. So like if we're thinking about there's a card Luminous Bonds back from Rivals of Ixalan that's two and a white for a pacifism effect. Enchanted creature can't attack or block. That's the three mana. We'll call that an unconditional removal spell. Black has a, a five mana removal spell that just destroys a creature and you gain three life. Um, so looking at those kinds of things is, I think, also important. But when I think of expensive removal matching up against my cheap creatures, that doesn't make me excited to cast that expensive removal, I'm going to say. Right, but I don't think this removal is that overpriced. And, you know, we'll have this broken down, you know, in the spreadsheet with all of our grades. We have one of the tabs there is removal. And you can look and see, snapshot for yourself, all of these removal spells, their their casting cost, instant speed or not, that sort of thing. So you can get mm-hmm. a very clear picture for yourself once you take a look at that spreadsheet of what the removal in the set is. Speaking of removal, we want to look at the best kind of removal sometimes, which is sweepers. So we're talking about wrath effects, board wipe effects. What do we have in store for us in terms of board wipes in m19 the first one is rare it's called cleansing nova it's three white white for a sorcery choose one either destroy all creatures or destroy all artifacts and enchantments i assume in limited you're going to be choosing the first mode most often and destroying all creatures so that you're going to have to keep that in mind when playing against a white opponent that you can't just you know jam in an extra creature to try to kill them quicker you're gonna have to keep wrath in the back of your mind which has been kind of nice not having to do that recently what do you mean urza's ruinous blast oh get out of here that card's (laughs) terrible Yeah, it is. It is pretty bad. Yeah, so there's Cleansing Nova, and at Uncommon, a card I'm very excited about, mm-hmm. there is Plague Mare, one black black for a 2-2. Plague Mare can't be blocked by white creatures, and when it enters the battlefield, creatures your opponent's control get minus one, minus one until end of turn. I think that card's super powerful. Yeah, I mean, talking to Samuelin about this card on the set review today, like, this card is just very versatile. It can, you know, come, you can cast this pre-attacks to shrink your opponent's stuff to give yourself profitable attacks. You can cast this post-combat to clear out some creatures that ended up blocking to, to like, you know, clear out more creatures on your opponent's side. You can just play it to kill X1s. Like, this card is good. And a 3-mana 2-2 seems to be about par for the course in the format, so it's not like you're casting a, a creature that's, like, totally understated or anything. Yeah, so both those cards, I think, are really going to shine in the format. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Another thing that we've found really points to the speed of the format, like what makes more aggressive decks viable or more control decks viable. We're all looking at flavors of mid-range in in, uh, limited, obviously, but what spectrum we're looking at is the amount of life gain in the format. And black-white even has a pretty decent sub-theme of life gain. There's There's a number of payoffs that we'll talk about in just a second, but there's a lot of life gain in the format that is incidental. So I'm not talking about there is a spell that's just like one in a white, you gain three life draw cards. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff, but I'm talking about lifelink on creatures. I'm talking about things that allow you to gain life repeatedly. So in our uh, in our show notes here for patrons, uh, they'll get access to a list of cards that have gain life attached to them, and we've put in bold all the cards that are repeatable effects. But you can search those out. They're, they're mostly going to be in white and black, uh, which is where the payoffs 
are. And those payoffs, there are five of them that we that we found. So the the only one that exists at common, but I'm pretty excited about having a payoff here at common. It's called Epicure of Blood, and this is four and a black for a four four creature that says whenever you gain life, each opponent loses one life. We've also got a Johnny's Pride Mate at Uncommon. This is a one and a white for a two-two that gets a plus one plus one counter on it each time you gain life. Now, when these cards say each time you gain life, what does that mean, Ben? Does that mean if I gain seven life, I get seven counters? No, that's not how that what? works. It's every instant. <laughs> it's every instance of gaining life. Yeah. So every separate time you gain life, regardless of the amount of life. Which is one of the reasons that I think I, I'm focusing more on the things that are repeatable sources of life gain rather than one shots, because those are the ones that you're going to get those multiple instances of payoffs for. Uh, there's this interesting card that's Nightmare's Thirst, which is a single black that says you gain a life and then target creature gets minus X minus X until end of turn, where X is the amount of life you gained this turn. There's the white, black, gold, uncommon. That's a five mana, two, four flyer. So that's three white, black for a two, four flyer that says each turn, if you gained life, you make a one, one flyer. That's a pretty big payoff. And then there's a mythic of uh, Resplendent Griffin, which says... At the end step, if you gained five or more life, you make a 4-4 four, four flyer. And it has an ability on it that basically lets you gain five life if it deals damage. That card's pretty powerful, but it's also a mythic, so not going to come up that much for limited. The four prior cards, I think, are the payoffs you're looking for for those life gain cards. But also, life gain that's incidental really does affect the speed of a format, right? Yeah, so I think there's two things going on. First of all, I think white-black as life gain is, to me, when I was looking through the spoiler, was the most prominent, obvious, in-your-face, this is what this color pair is supposed to be doing Mm -hmm. when I looked through the whole spoiler. And then, yeah, what you said. I mean, if you look through, we we listed all the instances of life gain. There's almost 20 cards that have incidental life gain tacked onto them, which is a lot of life gain floating around. So that could potentially make life rough for the aggro decks. You know, if the format is maybe pointing aggro because of the creature size and there's some good auras floating around, uh, we saw in Hour of Devastation and things like that that life gain can really slow the format down. Yeah, for sure. What's the mana fixing look like in this format? There's a lot of really good mana fixing, which also gives me hope that, you know, if they're sticking all this mana fixing in there, maybe we're going to be able to maybe dirtle and splish splash around a little bit. Boy, I hope so. Yeah, me too. So there's dual lands that replace basic land in five out of every 12 packs. So what that roughly calculates out to is that there are going to be 10 duels opened in every draft. Mm -hmm. So opening 24 packs, you can expect 10 duels to be opened on average, which is not nothing. Uh, And those are going to be, you know, C plus type cards. Uh, They're going to be valuable if you're making use of them to splash and or, you know, help fix your mana. I think we'll have to see. I mean, it's going to depend how fast the format is and how much a tapped land is a liability in your deck. Yeah, for sure. Manalith is back. That's three mana for the artifact that can tap to add one mana of any color in your mana pool. That card was a house in Hour of Devastation. And speaking of Hour of Devastation, Gift of Paradise is back. Uh, This time at Uncommon, they finally realized how busted it was. (laughs) Two and a green for an enchant land. When it enters the battlefield, you gain three life. And when you tap the land for mana, you can add two of any single color to your mana pool. So I do think Gift of Paradise gets a little bit of a hit in a power level being at Uncommon. Yeah. Because it's so much more unlikely that you're going to be able to pick up three copies to really splash double colored cards, which is where that card shined. Yeah, I could not agree more. I made this point today. I was like, it's a bummer that it's an uncommon this time around. There's also Rupture Spires as a common mana fixer. This is a land. And when it enters the battlefield, you have to pay one or sacrifice it, and it enters the battlefield tapped. And then the next turn, it taps to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So a little bit of a variation on like the filter lands. Like usually when we see these you play the land and you have, the land has the ability to pay one tap, add a mana of any color to your mana pool. So that's front loaded on this card. You pay one once, 
and then after you untap with it the next turn, you can always tap it for any color of mana, which is substantially better than those cards, I think. No, this is great. Like, again, this is just going to be, like, do you have the time to take, to spend essentially two mana on this as an upfront cost to then get to reap the benefits of having a, like, Birds of Paradise land for the rest of the game? There's also a Dragon's Horde that's a three-mana artifact that has tapped to add one mana of any color to your mana pool, so sort of like a manolith with some upside. If you are fortunate enough and limited to have a dragon enter the battlefield under your control, you get to put a gold counter on Dragon's Horde, and then you can tap it to remove a gold counter to draw a card. So if you've got some dragon synergy, good for you. If not, you got yourself a rare manolith. And you might be asking, how many dragons might I have access to? And we'll get to that in just a moment. But first, we want to look at another big thing of limited that I think dictates, like, maybe not the speed of the format, but perhaps, like, incentives to slow down games, but also a clue to how many lands we may be running in, in a deck, or in, the, in general in the format. And we're looking at mana sinks here. There are 12 total mana sinks, like, just cards that have activations on them that you can dump mana into. Is this only at common or uncommon? This is only at common or uncommon. They're not very exciting. You know, we've got like a kind of clunky card draw engine in Arcane Encyclopedia. We've got like a clunky creature that can come back and reassembling skeleton. But there's not really like pretty powerful. We're not looking at Slimefoot the Stowaway here, for example. We're not, we've not got like really standout mana sinks in the format. That leads me to think that we may be running fewer lands. Like this may be a 17, 16 land kind of format. Yeah, my initial guess would be 17. I would say this is just going to be normal. These mana sinks, like, I think it's nice that they exist. You know, it's not like Ixalan where there was just, you know, Thundering Spineback and whatever the Merfolk card was called. Do you remember the name of that? The, um, yes, I do. Shapers of Nature. Shapers of Nature. Thank you. But those are both like powerhouse mana sinks. There is nothing on that power level here. No. In these mana sinks. The most powerful one, I think, is probably Suspicious Bookcase, and we're going to talk about that a little later. Mm -hmm. It's a two-mana, zero-four artifact that has the activated ability three-tap to make target creature unblockable. I think that's probably the best of them. Yeah, that, that sounds about right to me, for sure. We always take a look at creatures with flying as well. That's been, you know, a pretty key part of Limited in some of these sets, Evasion. Certainly Rivals of Ixalan springs to mind when we take a look at flying. So there are nine creatures with flying at common. Three of them are white, three blue, one black, one red, and one artifact. And there's one trick that grants flying in Mighty Leap. So that's one and a white for an instant to give target creature plus two, plus two in flying. And then there's ten creatures with flying at uncommon and four that can somehow gain flying. Yeah, there's like Dragon Egg, which is an O2 that when it dies makes a 2-2 flyer, that sort of thing. So it's tough to like sort of count those as creatures that inherently have flying, but they could have flying in some way. And then we always take a look at how many cards with reach there are. So there's three cards with reach. There's Wall of Vines, single green for an O3 with Defender. Not very exciting there. The classic Giant Spider, three and a green for the 2-4 reach. That is always a staple of every limited format it's in always playing it probably never cutting it from your deck and there's a black green uncommon that's really strong mm -hmm. poison tip archer two black green for a two three with reach death touch and whenever another creature dies either yours or your opponents each opponent loses one life that card is just rock solid yeah there's also plummet one in a green to destroy target creature with flying that uh you know i just feel like we keep saying every format like flying so good and limited like i keep dying to flyers Pierce the Sky seems main deckable in Dominaria. I don't think it's insane that we may end up in a place where Plummet is main deckable in M19. 
That doesn't sound crazy to me. I really that uh, has ham- been hammered home to me more than anything else in doing these crash courses. <laughs> it's just how good flying is, like yeah. always. Mm-hmm. We talked about a little bit before, like there were there was a card that maybe had some dragon payoffs. There is like slight, slight, slight tribal synergies with uh, a few signpost rares in each tribe. So we wanted to run through like what your potential payoffs were for that. So elves have a lord at rare in elvish clan caller which is green green for a 1-1. It says other elves you control get plus one plus one. And it says four green green tap. You can search your library for a card named Elvish Clan Caller and put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. So not particularly worth it in limited because you're probably not going to see multiples of these, but it does buff your other elves. And there are three elves at common and four at uncommon. Goblins are another tribe that's featured in M19. They have a lord at rare in Goblin Trashmaster. Goblin Trashmaster is two red red for a 3-3. Other goblins you control get plus one plus one, and you can sacrifice a goblin to destroy target artifact. So the part you care about that the most is, you know, pumping your team, obviously. There are three goblins at common and two at uncommon and two total at rare. And then there's an uncommon that's great called Volley Veteran. Three and a red for a 4-2 goblin. And when it ETBs, it deals damage to target creature equal to the number of goblins that you control. So very cool Flame Tongue Kavu variant there that is very, very powerful. Um, We'll encourage you to put goblins in your deck. White has a sort of knight theme. There's a rare in Valiant Knight, which is three and a white for a three, four. It says other knights you control get plus one, plus one, and it has the activated ability of three white, white to give knights you control double strike until end of turn. Um, There's also another rare that's a knight uh, in Lena, Selfless Champion. And there's one uncommon knight and three common knights. Spirits have a lord at rare in blue called Supreme Phantom, one in a blue for a 1-3 flyer, and other spirits you control get plus one, plus one. However, there are not very many spirits. There's another rare spirit in white and an uncommon in blue, so you're not going to be jamming a spirits deck in M19. Black has zombies. There's a lord at rare. There's a lot of zombies floating around. So there's a lord at rare called Death Baron. It's one black black for a 2-2 zombie wizard. It says skeletons you control and other zombies you control get plus one, plus one, and have death touch. And you might be thinking, why does it say skeletons? Well, there's reassembling skeleton in the format, which is one and a black for a 1-1 that you can like recast from your graveyard. So that's a cute little combo. Other than that, there's two other rare zombies. Three uncommons and four uncommons, as well as Liliana as a the Black Planeswalker, is basically like a build-around zombie card. And there's a rare enchantment that makes zombies. So a lot of zombie things floating around at various rarity levels. Dragons? The cycle of Elder Dragons is back, which is awesome. Except, yeah. like, they don't throw back... You know, like I remember a kid like having all my Elder Dragons, they don't throw back that much to the abilities of like their color shards. It didn't seem like to me. Yeah. So there's one mythic dragon in black outside of those Elder Dragons, two rare dragons. One of them has Dragons Matter text. It cares about you casting other dragons, I think. And then there's two uncommon dragons and one common all in red. So if you're wanting the dragon synergy, you need to be in red. But again, like lots of that's going to be rare and uncommon based. Yeah, it feels like the zombie and goblin lords have, like, the tools, if you open those, that you can, like, sort of build around them at the the common and uncommon level. And then maybe even knights, but, like, elvish clan caller isn't great. Like, you're not trying to buff your mana dork elves. I think, uh, and and it looks like spirits doesn't get there, and, and dragons maybe doesn't even get there that much either. Yeah, but the common goblins are good. Like, you're gonna yeah. be playing those common goblins anyway. I think goblins... 
definitely for sure well the nice thing also about goblins is that there's the one there's the the common that's one and a red for a one one goblin that makes a one one goblin token so like if you care about having multiple goblins which both the lord and the like flame tongue kabu variant do you're set up there which is nice super awesome so we're gonna move on to my favorite part well maybe my second favorite part i think my favorite part is when we rank our top commons but my second favorite part of the crash course is when we get to go through so like i said we've graded all the cards separately and we're going to compare cards or we're going to discuss cards where our grades were basically more than two gradations apart so like if i gave something a c minus and ben gave it a c plus though more likely it's the reverse because i'm very like best case scenario sometimes so if we've got two gradations apart, we're going to talk about the card and maybe see if we can convince the other person of, of why we think that card is a certain grade. So what are we doing in white, Ben? Well, and it's even more exciting this time because we're implementing the point system, right? Oh, no, I forgot about the point system. <laughs> we got to keep track from day one, baby. Okay, can we? do we have any rules in place about this point system, or are we just making it up as we go? I think we're making it up as we go, but there okay. are definitely going to be points earned for people that are right about cards when we have these grading differences. That makes me so sad, because I feel like we're implementing it the set after I was so right about Llanowar Elves, <laughs> and you were so wrong, but we didn't get yeah. to really punish you for that. All right, fine. We're implementing the point system. This is very important. What do we got going on in white? First up, we've got Dwarven Priest. This is three and a white for a two-four dwarf cleric. When it enters the battlefield, you gain one life for each creature you control. I gave this a D. You gave it a C. Talk to me about why you think it's good. So this is a pretty big life gain amount. You know, it's not unreasonable to think that this is going to come down at some point on turn four or later and gain you three life. And I think that's like a big game against aggro decks. I think that's a nice boon. Like anything that says life gain that's in white or black sort of has me like perked up because I know there are some payoffs there. A 2-4, like we would normally get this effect in a core set as just like a pillar field ox. It would just be a 4-mana 2-4. This is a 4-mana 2-4 with upside. I think this is just a solid playable in this color. And I think it's going to like block well, which maybe a lot of things don't do because we're in a format of 3-mana 2-2s. That all adds up to a card that I'm like fine to play as a C. Yeah, I think I undersold this a little bit because it's right next to Gallant Cavalry. Gallant Cavalry is three and a white for the 2-2 Vigilance, and when it enters the battlefield, create a 2-2 white knight creature token with Vigilance. So mm-hmm. essentially call the Cavalry. Mm-hmm. That card seems a lot worse. Like, it's niche, right? It only is really going to shine in the white-black deck, Dwarven Priest, that is. And maybe, you know, as sideboard tech against an aggro deck or things like that. Yeah, I mean, we don't really know what the color pairs are trying to do yet. Like, we have the uncommon cycle of multicolored cards as signposts. So this probably doesn't go in white-red, but this is fine in white-blue skies if, like, you want a ground blocker that gains you some life if you're racing. Like, I just think this is going to do a lot of fine things in your deck. Yeah, I'm going to go up to D+. I think you're going to be not playing this card quite as often as a C. Okay, so I get points if, like, we feel like this is better than 23rd. I'm just <laughs> trying very, to think. You're very trying... focused on this point. That's I'm great. focused on just the point Im- system. Just, Im- <laughs> just immediately to the points. <laughs> It's so good. This is why the podcast has survived, everyone, because Ethan and I are like the same person. (laughs) Because I'm also very interested in winning the points game. (laughs) I'm just trying to know. I just want to know. You've now given me another game that I can play. (laughs) All right, what's next? Hang on. (laughs) I need to compose myself. 
Okay. <clears throat> Up next, we've got Knight's Pledge. Knight's Pledge is one and a white for an enchantment. Enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two. I gave us a D. You gave it a C minus. Okay, so if anyone hasn't read my first ever article for Card Sphere, I talked about why I think that auras may be good in this format and that the format may be fast. I think there there are a lot of tools set up here. One being that there look to be you know small creatures that are aggressively bent. There look to be some good auras, and there also looks to be some good removal, but some clunky removal as well. I think that the tools are there for evasive cards to take advantage of Knight's Pledge, and I don't know that this will be good. Like, it doesn't grant, you know, if we look at the auras that mattered in Ixalan, which is the last format where auras were good, like one with the wind granting evasion was huge. Mark of the Vampire granting lifelink was huge because that allowed racing situations. This does neither of those things. But putting this on a creature that has evasion or has lifelink is very possible in white or other colors. And I think that I'm going to take a chance here and say that I think that this is going to be better than people initially think it will be, and you're not going to get maybe blown out as much as you might think, and so I gave this a C-, but I'm very ready to be wrong about this. Yeah, and we're going to have this discussion like several times. There's a lot of these auras that are going to come up. Mm -hmm. I'm a little less excited about the auras than you are, or I'm maybe not like reaching out on a limb the way you are about them. Mm -hmm. I think there's enough. I think where we differ is that I think there's enough removal that you're just going to get two for one often enough that it's not going to be worth the risk. I think every every color's got like a clean removal spell that feels like that answers these at common. And I just think that's too big of a too big of a risk. There's bounce floating around. There's disperse in blue, one in a blue to bounce something. There's mana war variant at uncommon. I think you're just going to get punished a lot. That is without like there's also just a green white aura theme, right? The uncommon. And there's a couple cards that pay you off for playing auras. Mm-hmm. So unless you're heavy into those payoffs, I just don't think these auras are going to be worth it. So I will say that I don't really think that the way that you're leveraging the auras is by like getting the the payoff cards. Like the the uncommon is one green white for a 2-2 that says whenever you cast an enchantment spell, you draw a card. I don't really think that's what you want to be doing with these cards because I think these cards are so aggressive that like you're just trying to kill your opponent in as few turns as possible. And my thought about this, and this also could be wrong, is like I think that I've identified something that may exist and my goal is to like try and exploit that early in the format and maybe you want to do that, maybe our listeners want to do that as well if that ends up being good but i think that perhaps the format may balance out after a few weeks where this doesn't end up being good but i am looking to try this strategy early because i think it may be undervalued all right we will see rustwing falcon is next what's that one okay so this is a single white mana for a one two flyer so it's slitherblade basically um I mean, you're laughing. Like, why is this different than Slitherblade? Because it's not unblockable. It can be blocked by flyers. But, like, it's basically unblockable for a future... Like, if you go Rustwing Falcon on turn one and Knight's Pledge on turn two, it's a pretty hefty start to a game of magic. Well, let's 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 take a look at the grade. So, you gave Rustwing Falcon a C-. I gave mm-hmm. Rustwing Falcon an F. Yeah. I think you never want to put... I don't think Rustwing Falcon is worth a card in your deck. And I think you're talking about, like, if you're looking to put Rustwing Falcon and Knight's Pledge in your deck, you're talking about putting two cards that are not good in your deck, hoping to draw them in your opening hand, and hoping that your opponent doesn't have removal. That just sounds like a recipe for not success and limited to me. There are a lot of other things. Like, I don't think I'm playing this in every deck for sure, but there are a lot of other things that make me think about this card. Like, the, there's a card that is a 2-mana two 2-1 two that when it enters the battlefield gives another creature plus 2 plus 0 oh in first strike until end of turn. That's in white. So I can imagine curving this 
out, right? Playing this on one and then playing that on two to get in for three damage. There's uh, seems to be a red-white go-wide strategy. There's inspired charge at common in white, which is uh, two white-white to give all your creatures plus two, plus one until end of turn. There's a five-mana three-three flyer that when it enters the battlefield, it gives all your creatures plus one, plus one in vigilance. Like, I think this card early is going to add up if you put other things in your deck that are able to take advantage of the fact that you have this evasive one drop that just keeps getting in and getting in and getting in. I think this can really deal a lot of damage, whereas I like I definitely hear what you're saying about it being a terrible card, but I think the tools are here in white alone to make it perhaps a bit better in an aggressive deck. I hear I like I hear that. It's probably not enough. I'm I'm trying to exaggerate for the people no, that are gonna, that, that are going to want to play this card that uh-huh. should not. Yeah. Like you understand maybe like when you could make it, but even then you're turning it into like <laughs> He said what, maybe. He said yeah, maybe yeah, I, I understand. Maybe maybe it's being thrown around. Point there's gonna be trash talk in this point system. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna get this is gonna get intense, listeners. Wow. <laughs> just fasten your seatbelts. The gloves are off. Okay, okay. <laughs> I just think even then you're turning it into like what, a D plus? Like a C minus? I gave it a C minus. That's what I said. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But you're doing what? Then you're building around it to turn it yeah. into a C minus, right? And maybe maybe it deserves a synergy grade of C minus. That I could buy. Okay. That's like I mean, a synergy uh, D plus, synergy C minus. I can adjust to a synergy. That's fine. Because like for sure, it's not like a C minus in my black white life gain deck. But in my red white beatdown deck or my blue white skies deck, I think it might be a C minus. I could buy that. All right. That makes me feel way less bad <laughs> about you giving it an F. Next up, we've got Lannan Vanguard. This is a single white for a 1-1 cat soldier. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if you control three or more creatures, Lannan Vanguard gets plus one, plus one until end of turn, and you gain one life. So I gave this card a synergy D+, and then gave it a D-. So not a good card, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, both of us are not not excited about it. I think it if you're wanting it mostly as a repeatable source of life gain in yep. you know maybe the black white life gain deck I don't think you're particularly excited about turning it into a one mana 2/2 that's not going to happen until like you know turn 4 or something and by that point the 2/2 is likely to already be blanked right Yes I agree or trade with something but like it's not going to be super relevant Right so I think we're mostly on the same page about this one and I mm-hmm. think if I gave it as given it a synergy grade I would have given it a D plus also It's like you're probably only putting this in the life gain deck and even there it's not necessarily going to be great Yeah I think like this is exactly like I want it because it's a consistent source of life gain. Because as we said, like the life gain payoffs don't care about the amount of life you gain. They care about the instances of life gain. So the fact that this gives you an instance of life gain at the beginning of your combat step, that makes me excited. Like, I think that's going to be nice. And then like, if my opponent is using removal on that because that's doing too much work or whatever, then that's great because I spent a mana on this card. But it is just a one mana one one, and that's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. Next up, we've got Make a Stand. This is two and a white for an instant. Creatures you control get plus one, plus zero, and gain indestructible until end of turn. I give us a C plus, you give us a C minus. We were talking before the show, and I said I think this is just a good card. I think you're going to put this in most white decks. It's obviously going to shine in decks that are wanting to go wide, but can be used on offense effectively, can be used on defense effectively, assuming your opponent attacks into it and holding up the three mana isn't that much of a cost or something for you. I mean, that's a lot more situational. I think more often than not, it's going to be offensive, but it's a very versatile card. So here's my question for you. Would you rather have this or Inspired Charge? That's the two white-white creatures you control get plus two, plus one until end of turn. Would you rather have this or that? I think in specific decks, I would rather have Inspired Charge. I think in an average deck, I would rather have Make a Stand. But they're both good. Inspired Charge is great. I think this is just like, yes, I can craft the board state where like, 
I have the perfect combat step and my opponent blocks in a certain way or they attack in a certain way and I block in a certain way where make a stand is just the biggest of all blowouts. And that can certainly happen. But more often than not, this is just like a clunky combat trick that like saves a creature, but it's three mana, which is a lot to ask of a trick. Or maybe saves a couple creatures if you're like chump blocking or something. But like getting blowouts with this card, I think is going to be difficult. I agree, but I think it's so flexible, too. It can also blank a removal spell from your opponent. It just does a lot. Blank a removal spell for three mana, though. Where's Dive Down? Yeah, Dive Down's nowhere to be found, sadly. Yeah, I don't know. I just think I can maybe meet you in the middle at sea, but this card doesn't excite me. And, like, I'll play one probably in white decks, but I'm not looking to pick this up aggressively. I agree. I think sea sounds fine to me. Novice Knight is next. This is a really interesting card, I think. This is a single white for a 2-3 human knight with defender, and it says as long as Novice Knight is enchanted or equipped, it can attack as though it didn't have defender. So I gave this card a C+, and Ben gave it a C-. Yeah, I think I'm hoping to not put those enchantments in my deck in general, and the equipment is not great. There's like a two mana equipment that has equip cost of two to give a creature plus two plus zero mm-hmm. i mean if you do do that this is attacking as a four three fairly early in the game as maybe as early as turn three mm-hmm. but i i just think this card is i mean it's fine it's not a bad card it's going to be a great blocker if you do manage to equip it or enchant it. it does get out of hand pretty quickly yeah i mean going turn one this into turn two uh knight's pledge huh? attacking for a with a four five on turn two yeah, but then you're putting, like, the argument still stands that you're just putting two bad cards in your deck. So let me ask you about Champion of the Flame, like the one in a red 1-1 one, one that, like, gets buffed when you put stuff on it from Dominaria. Were you excited about that card? No, that card's terrible. Isn't this card very similar to that card? No, because this just blocks fine if you don't, like, we're looking at a format of three mana 2-2s, two and this is a one mana 2-3. So this just blocks totally fine if it doesn't get suited up which yes i know is not what like my aggressive deck wants to do if i'm putting knight's pledge in my right that's what i was gonna say (laughs) but i think this does like i think this works on both axes so if i'm building that aura deck then i want this in my deck because one maybe it allows me to race also if it's like gonna be a blocker behind while i'm like attacking with something that's suited up or attacking with my flyers This allows you to double spell insanely well on later turns. Like if you top deck it, you play this in a three mana flyer or something. Like I think this is going to do well in both decks that want to block and both decks that want to suit up and attack. Okay, so let me ask you this. Do you remember the one in a black two, three that couldn't attack unless you controlled an artifact from like Ixalan, Rivals of Ixalan? Desperate Castaways was the name of it. It was from Ixalan. One in a black for a two, three, and you can't attack unless you control an artifact. Uh Uh-huh. Were you excited about that card ever in your deck? Yeah. That's a bald face lie. No, I, I was. I mean, I might be wrong, but I remember liking, like, being okay with that card and chat disagreeing with me. Yeah, you're okay with it. You're never excited about it. C plus is like excited. A two mana two three is a lot different than a one mana two three. And the thing is, is I want to put ores on my creatures. <laughs> All right, I think that's where we differ. I just don't. Okay, <laughs> so I'm staying at C minus. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna chill at C plus here. But moving on to blue. First card we will want to look at here is Salvager of Secrets. This is three blue blue for a 2-2, and when it enters the battlefield, you can return a target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. I gave it a D plus, you gave it a C. Yeah, I think that's a very strong card. Being able to pay five mana, put a creature on the board, buy back a removal spell. I hope the format is slow enough that this card is a C. Yeah, I agree with you. I do hope it is, and but my guess is, my instinct is that it's not. That's my, like, my whole, a lot of my grades that I've given are, like, on the basis that I think the format is going to be a bit on the more assertive, aggressive side. Five mana for a 2-2 is quite small. 
pretty embarrassing. You have to have already like played a good spell to get back. And there are some that exist, but like blues getting back counter spells basically. So you really want to be pairing this with like red or black to get yes. back removal spells. So that sort of constricts the card a little bit. And if you don't have that, like this is your five mana play. I, I don't know. Like this feels like maybe you need, maybe it's more of a synergy grade then. I guess there's divination too in blue, but like, man, God willing that we have time to cast divination and salvager of secrets to get back divination. That would make this format fantastic. I'm just not sure that's where we're going to be at. So I give this a, a D plus and I'm, I'm a little tentative about putting this in my deck. Yeah, I could buy synergy C for sure. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I just think the power level is here. And I think it'll be I think that's going to be our biggest, you know, point to award because I'm definitely on the line of I think there's the stuff here to build to combat the aggro decks. That feels like win win for me because either I win the point system or I win like <laughs> the life system of being able to draft control dirtle decks. Yeah, so you're all set up. You're, you're I'm great. all set up. I'm double down on the format being <laughs> I'm going to win that's big right. if I win. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Next up, we've got Ether Tunnel. This is one in a blue for an enchantment aura. Enchanted creature gets plus one plus O oh and can't be blocked. You guessed it. Ethan loves this card, and I just think it's sort of okay. You give this a B, and I gave it a C minus. Yeah. Okay. So obviously, I love auras. I think this is probably the best one, or maybe second best one in the set. So it doesn't bode well if Ben doesn't really like this card. My argument is that even if we think the removal in the format is good, most of the good removal is at sorcery speed. So if we look at like the five mana black spell that just like kills a creature or white's luminous bonds, the three mana pacifism effect, that sort of thing. Like, yeah, there's some, there's murder at, at uncommon, which is just one black, black, kill a thing dead. I'm not some sort of like not thinking about the uncommon removal, trying to think about just, just where the common removal lines up against most things. Ether tunnel is going to like get in for points of damage, right? It's going to like make one connection at least. So that one connection you want to make count, obviously. So like it's a two mana, maybe lava acts hopefully like you know if you cast this a lot has to happen right i understand the setup cost of auras i understand the setup cost of like you have to have a creature on board you have to have a good attack or be able to attack and not be like dead on the crackback or whatever have bad blocks that sort of thing but i think this card's going to be a real groaner and i think if you are able to set up any sort of state of the game where racing is okay for you or you've state you have good blockers and you can attack with one thing your opponent's gonna go well i look at my hand real quick do i have the removal for this thing i don't or i need to find it in the next two turns and i'm dead buffing power and creating the ultimate form of evasion i think is really tough especially for how cheap this is so i think this card is going to be powerful I would be a lot more excited about this card if it was plus two plus O oh and can't be blocked as as opposed to plus one plus O oh and can't be blocked. I think this is a little too close to Arcane Flight to really be a good card. I think unblock. I think I hear what you're saying. Unblockable is a lot different than flying. But yeah, I hear what you're saying. I, I have no idea. I have no idea how good this card will be. I'm just, again, hedging that I think this will be good. Next up, we've got Psychic Corrosion. This is two and a blue for an enchantment. Whenever you draw a card, each opponent puts the top two cards of their library into their graveyard. Ethan gave us an F. I gave us a Synergy C+. Talk to me about this card. I'm in love with this card. I'm going to be, this is going to be one of our achievements for sure. It's been a classic. Mill your opponent out. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be drafting this card. I'm going to be building a mill deck and it's going to be great. Yeah, there's Millstone at Uncommon as well, which is a two mana artifact that you can pay two tap to, to mill your opponent for two. That's where the name comes from. This is a do as I say, not as I do card, I believe, where I will be playing this card on stream. I will be drafting around it for sure. I don't think most people should be doing that. Right. I don't think this is what you should be doing. If you're drafting the format 15 to 20 times, 
You should not be playing this card. If you're drafting the format a hundred times, sure, you can you can build a mill deck with Psychic Corrosion. A lot has to go right for this to be the path to a 3-0 deck for you. I agree completely. I think F is the gracious thing to give our listeners, but you choose to be greedy and give it a Synergy C+. Yeah, what can I say? I want the, I want the listeners to be drugged down with me into the 1-2 decks that I'm going to draft with Psychic Corrosion in them. <laughs> So next up, we've got uh, one of our Lords of Limited official preview cards, Switcheroo, four and a blue for a sorcery exchange control of two target creatures. I gave this card just a straight B. Ben gave it a build around B+. Yeah, I think this card's power level is going to fluctuate wildly varied on the number of creatures that you don't mind giving your opponent. So if I've got like five creatures I don't mind switcherooing over to my opponent's side of the battlefield, and this is a lot closer to straight control magic, I think switcheroo is going to be great. If I've only got one or two creatures that are not very good in my deck, I'm a lot less excited about switcheroo, and I think it might dip down into like the C- minus D plus type territory. Whoa, that seems insane to me. There's not a lot of tokens floating around in the format. You know, there's the goblin thing we talked about, there's like a call the cavalry variant, there's there's a three mana one two in blue that makes a one one flyer. There's a three mana one one that's colorless that when it ETBs you draw a card and it has flying. Like there are some like little garbage creatures floating around that like can make their way into your deck because of how they sort of stack up in terms of like making multiple bodies. So I think there are the tools there to like have the little things around. Semulin today made a point that like the power level of cards seemed pretty flat generally. Like, is this really going to be that good if you're like just swapping my, your two two for their three three? The answer is no. But like, then this isn't in that scenario. The cards on the board don't really require you to play this card just yet. You know, so you know you don't you aren't snap cast or you're not like you know snap playing this when you would play in Bolus's clutches. But I think this card is still quite strong and doesn't really require like a setup cost. Like, yes, I know. No, you can't cast it if you have no creatures in play, blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't feel like a build-around grade to me. I think I'm going to play this in every blue deck. I just don't think it's going to be great in every blue deck was what I was trying to say. I think for this card to really be control magic, you have to do some work. Yeah, but is that work build-around? Is that mm. is that work in the building of your deck? Or is that just like work in sort of like the crafting of the game? It's possible that that's true as well, yeah. All right. I guess we'll see how many points I can win on my switcheroo grade. <laughs> Next up... We're moving on to the Black Commons. This is Child of Night, one in a black. This is a reprint that's been in a lot of sets. 2-1, Lifelink. You gave this a C, I gave this a D. I mean, it's a 2-mana two 2-1, two it gains you life. How's that bad? Uh, it's got one toughness. I think that's going to be a huge knock against this card. There's a, a laundry list of cards that punish cards with one toughness, and I don't think planning to attack on the... I think this is going to attack once and either trade or die, and I don't think that's good enough. I think there's some cards that leave 1-1 one, one bodies lying around on the battlefield. I think anything that has one toughness just is immediately a notch or two down from where it would be. Okay, here's a question for you. Mm -hmm. Can I interest you in turn two, Child of Night, turn three, Knight's Pledge attack with a 4-3 lifelinker? <laughs> you cannot interest me in that at all. <laughs> I'm so interested in that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, moving um, on. <laughs> yeah, moving on. Two-headed zombie. What do we got here? Two-headed zombie. This is three and a black for a 4-2 zombie with menace. You give this a C, I give this a D+. This is so, so big. Like, remember Cursed Minotaur, the three mana 3-2 three with Menace? 
Yeah, three mana, three two, I'm a lot more excited about than four mana, four two with Menace. Why? Because it comes down a turn earlier when they're less likely to have two creatures to block it. Like, as soon as they have a two two and a two three, this gets blanked. Like, they just double block it, right? Sure, and then you have, like, a combat trick or something. Like, you don't have to attack into these things, you know? Or you're trading with a two three. Yeah. I'm probably I'm probably a little low at D plus. I could go C minus. Yeah, I think it's at least a C minus. Like four power for four is big in this format. It feels like and menace is relevant on high powered creatures and like backed up by tricks or removal is pretty powerful. Like you you in the pre show were like and your creature is just gonna get shocked and you're gonna be sad and that's so true. And then I might even think about like siding them out because that's such a bad like rate of of trading. But otherwise, this is I think pretty good. I think it's fine. I'll, I'll go C minus. All right, I got him. Next up, we talked about this a little bit in the stats section. We've got Nightmare's Thirst. This is the single black instant. You gain a life. Target creature gets minus X minus X until end of turn, where X is the amount of life you gained this turn. I gave it a C plus. Ben gave it a build around B plus. Talk to me about why you decided to give it a build around grade rather than just a straight upgrade. Well, straight upgrade, it's doing minus one, minus one, right? So it's just sort of a like a mediocre combat trick at that point. Uh huh. In that black white life gain deck, I think this is going to be like a lot closer to instant speed one mana doom blade, which is insanely powerful. Yeah, you crack in with that child of night, and now this is <laughs> no so... <laughs> because you need to use this to kill the thing they're going to block the child of night. With. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so I was sort of thinking about this like if this is just one mana, something gets minus x minus x until in turn and i gain a life i think that's like fine i think i would just be okay playing that as like a c or a c minus and then when this is great in the life gain deck or when i have other synergies with it it's like in b territory so i just like sort of average that out to c plus that's fair i mean it's a good card and it's going to be outstanding in the life gain deck or even if you're just in black and have like uh, there's other colors too that have life gain this is just going to be a good card i think a lot of the time and it probably doesn't even have to go into straight white black life gain deck if you've got you know three to four cards that have incidental light game life gain in your deck this is just going to be a good card in your deck yeah Next up, we've got, finally, we're going to get to some of Ben's pet cards. We've got Ravenous Harpy. This is two and a black for a 1-2 with flying. A single mana, sacrifice another creature to put a plus one, plus one counter on Ravenous Harpy. I gave this card a C-, minus. you gave it a Synergy C+. Yeah, so in these M19 core sets, there's a lot of times a black-red sacrifice theme, and that's true here as well, although I think it's going to be a little harder to get here than it has been in past core sets. Uh, Normally, there's common pieces on both ends. There's common sacrifice outlets and common steel creatures. So what you're trying to do, uh, there's a card called Act of Treason. It's two and a red that lets you take one of your opponent's creatures, untap it, give it haste, and attack them with it, and then at the end of the turn, you're supposed to give it back. And then if you have sacrifice outlets on your side, you can sacrifice their creature and use your active treason to do them damage and as a removal spell which makes it a great card so ravenous harpy is one of those sacrifice outlets but a lot of the sacrifice outlets are uncommon so it might be hard generally you want like a two to one ratio at least of sacrifice outlets to active treasons so it might be hard to get it to come together but if it does ravenous harpy will be a good piece of that deck I think another thing that makes that deck better is when not only the pe- both pieces are at common, but when the sacrifice outlet is free. So like this is close to free at one mana, but that's still a lot different than having to spend no mana. Like we had like Nantuko Husk, which was two and a black for a two, two sack a creature. It gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Like you just got to do that for no mana. 
Right. This is a worse card, I think, intrinsically than Nantuko Husk. Yeah. So it feels like there's a lot. I, I just, I guess the synergy grade depends on if we think this deck can come together. And I hope it can, because it's usually a fun kind of deck. So maybe maybe not C-, and maybe I do want to go up to... I'll, I'll meet you at Synergy C+. I can get down with that. Yeah, I think it's going to be rare to come together, but when it does, I think it'll be powerful. All right, we're moving on to red. First red card we want to look at is a single red, Goblin Motivator. Uh, it's a single red for a 1-1 Goblin Warrior, and you pay, can tap to give target creature haste until end of turn. I gave this a D, Ben gave this an F. Yeah, I just don't think this card does enough to really want me to put it in my deck. Yeah, did you ever play the, this card as a functional reprint of a card that existed in Amonkhet? Did you ever play that? I played Bloodlust Insider, yeah. I mean, I think... So I guess the question is, do we think we're going to be in as aggressive a format as we were in Triple Amonkhet? And I think you're thinking no, and I'm thinking also no, but probably to a lesser extent. So I gave this a D. Like, I'm not excited to play it. I think I will play it very rarely in the format, but I think there will be decks where this does warrant a slot. Yeah, F's probably harsh. I'll go D minus. I mean, there's a goblin deck, too. If you get with a goblin king, you might be jamming this in your deck. Yeah. I'll go D minus. Sweet. What do we got next? A Viashino Pyromancer. This is one in a red for a 2-1. When it enters the battlefield, it deals two damage to target player or planeswalker. So in limited, that's essentially going to be player. Two mana, 2-1 that shoots your opponent for two when it ETPs. Card's not great. I mean, I think it suffers from the same problem as Child of Night. I don't think the two damage is going to be worth it. Maybe it stacks up, I guess, if you... It's sort of, you could maybe think about it like Spellweaver Eternal with the Afflict 2 from Hour of Devastation to where if you have mm-hmm. them in multiples, like, it's really going to add up. But I just don't think it's it's great it's like it had haste but when it attacks the first time it's unblockable that kind of that's sort of a way to think about it i gave this a c initially you gave it a d i think i'm going to change mine to a synergy c which like i should be thinking about with these hyper aggressive cards like this is terrible if you're in a deck that's not like trying to just tap out and curve out and beat down but in those decks i think this is going to be good and yeah you're right like this is a common this in multiples is kind of oppressive yes it's an x1 and that may end up feeling like a, a bigger drawback than i'm giving it credit for but for now i think uh i think this may do just enough work in those aggro decks all right next up we've got dragon egg this is two and a red for an o2 with defender when dragon's egg dies you make a dragon whelp essentially you get a 2-2 flying token with fire breathing so single red to give it plus one plus oh mr sacrifice you gave this a d plus yeah, I don't know that this is where you want to be. You want to be sacrificing your opponent's creatures in that sacrifice deck, and I don't think that deck's super likely to come together. So in general, I think you're putting this in your deck as a defensive card like to sort of deter your opponent from attacking. And I think the fact that your opponent has control essentially over when this is going to die makes it a lot worse. The card you get after it dies is very good. The card that you get when it dies is a C for sure. But I think the timing of all of that probably turns this into a D plus for me. Yeah, and I guess the other question is like, if you're in a red deck why are you trying to block or like why are you trying to put like this feels just so bad like i just want to put that three mana three two with menace in my deck every time yep that's why i gave it a d plus i just felt like it was out of place yeah i'll go c minus that's fine next up we've got inferno hellion this is three and a red for a seven three with trample but it says at the beginning of each end step if inferno hellion attacked or blocked this turn its owner shuffles it into their library i gave this card a d minus you gave it a c minus that's a big gap for us it's a big gap that's a, I'm, I'm basically saying i think this is unplayable and you're saying you think this is fine yeah so you know the fact that you get a it's cheap for the stats right four mana for a seven three trample is cheap so if you want to attack with this the turn you attack with it it's probably going to matter a lot 
that you're attacking with it. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. And then it doesn't have to attack. So like, and if you block with it, since it has seven power, it's probably going to be trading with whatever you want to trade with. So it's a big deterrent on blocks as well. Like, I don't think the drawback is as bad as it looks, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's my thoughts on the card. If it's bad, though, it's so bad. If you want to attack and you can't attack with it, yes, this is going to feel similarly bad to a Lava Axe. But I think this is close enough to a Lava Axe that, like, I don't know. It feels okay to me. Yeah, I'll go up to D+. That makes a kind of sense to me. I, like, I just don't think it's horrible. If it blocks, it's going to trade with something, which is great. Mm -hmm. You had a four mana, seven power defensive thing, which is a strong defensive card. You're going to trade with a Colossal Dreadmaw or something. Yeah. And if you attack with it, you're probably winning the game. But your opponent sees it coming. I don't know. It can use. It's not a great card, but I think it's not terrible. Maybe D plus is right. No, I mean you talk me up to two gradations. I think I think you you win that one. Thud is next. This I don't usually look at art, but this has just the best art. This is a single red for sorcery as an additional cost to cast it. Sacrifice a creature, and Thud deals damage equal to the sacrificed creature's power to any target. So I gave this an F, you gave it a Synergy D+, and I think I just missed that this combos with the Sacrifice stuff, that you, or combos with Active Treason, and that's nice that you have a Sacrifice outlet in the color that Active Treason is in, which you don't usually get. So this is definitely not an F. Right, but it's only a one-time use, it's not a great card, even then, like, if you have that Synergy, it's still not a great card. Do not look at Thud and think it's removal, because that no. is just not true. Alright, we gotta power through these green cards, Ben. Oh, we're on a roll here. We're on a roll, baby. First green common we want to look at is Daggerback Basilisk, two and a green for a 2-2 with Death Touch. I'm a little higher on this. I give it a C, you gave it a D plus. So I think that the fact that this, yeah, I mean, it's a three mana 2-2, which is sort of the average. So this isn't great because you like you would much rather this just be a one mana 1-1 one, one with Death Touch, I think, though maybe the two toughness is kind of a boon because it doesn't die to all the X1 hate. So this trades with anything. It blocks pretty well. There's a one-sided fight card, a punch spell, if you will, that this goes pretty well with, right? Like Ooh, having a death touch a creature. Point. Yeah, that's that a great just, point. Like, punch with is nice. Like I think this is just going to be a fine blocker. And if you have any tricks to to go with this, if you're like attacking with it, I don't know. This is fine. This isn't like crazy exciting, but I think a, a solid C, maybe C minus for this card. Yeah, I think you talked me up immediately to C minus, which is the fight card point. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that at all. So I gave this a D plus because I was thinking you only really wanted it in a deck that's looking to block because it doesn't attack particularly well. But I think just that point about the fight card, uh, I'll go up to C minus. All right. What's this next card? Next card is Elvish Rejuvenator. We're going to have to talk about this one for a bit. Yeah, we this are. Is two and a green for a 1-1. One, one. When it enters the battlefield, look at the top five cards of your library. You may put a land card from among them onto the battlefield tap. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. I gave this a D plus. You gave it a C plus. I am excited about this card. This what card is I, awful. No, tell me why it's awful. You tell me why you like it. Okay, I will tell you why I like it. This is where I busted out the stats during your <laughs> during your break before the podcast here. <laughs> so this is a, a three mana one one that when it enters the battlefield, not only replaces itself, but ramps you. So like Civic Wayfinder, for example, like a two and a green two two that lets you search up a land. This is similar to that, except it's going to ramp you as well. It's so good. What were the stats that you looked up? 
I, the odds of you hitting, because I figured that's where you were going to, like, which, slam Which me. is what? No, I mean, you're going to miss, like, what, 3% of the time, 4% of the time? That's exactly what it was, yeah. You're not, you're going to hit 97% of the time when you cast this on turn 3. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I'm going to miss never, because I'm never going to cast this card. But I think that I would just much rather this were... Wouldn't you much rather this were a 3-mana Rampant Growth? No, I don't think so. So I would much rather this were a three-mana Rampant Growth because that lets me find my splash land. This just looks for a land, which doesn't, like, you're going to probably hit a land, right? You know, it's 96, 97% of the time, so you're going to hit a land. But you're not guaranteed to hit the color that you want, right? You may need that second swamp, and you find your third forest. That's, like, kind of a downside. Like, and yes, I know you're digging five towards whatever, but... Sure, yeah, I think you're a lot less likely to hit the land you want, but it also leaves behind a 1-1 body. That's not relevant. No, it is. We've just been talking about how bad X-1s are. Can you imagine how bad it's going to feel if you play Child of Night, and then I play Elvish Rejuvenator on turn three when I've been on the play, or you play your, you know, 2-1 Goblin Piker? This is going to be, the 1-1 body is so relevant. All right, I can get down with it being X-1 hate. I, I I hadn't quite considered that. But other than that, this card feels pretty bad to me. But that's why this card's so good. But because that's it's not gonna... a lot of creatures. That's only, whatever, 15 out of 106 at common and uncommon. It's not a lot of X-1s, and not all of those are good cards to play in the first place. Well, but I think, okay, so here's, here, but I think those X-1s are like what the aggressive decks are going to have to play to like have a good curve. And I think playing a card that trades with an X-1 and ramps you so that you get to your stuff that's going to help you stabilize and take over the game is just really powerful. I just think I want to play Druid of the Cowl like 10 out of 10 times over this card. I agree. I think Druid of the Cowl is a better card. So Druid of the Cowl is one and a green for a one three tap to add green. Druid of the Cowl is better than this card, but I think Elvish Rejuvenator is similarly close to Druid of the Cowl in power level. I'll go up to C minus. This is still, this is going to be, if you're going to get points, this yeah, is the most... Good. There's going to be there's points, points awarded for this, card. for this. Yeah, for sure. I'm a little nervous because Professor Knox Live was streaming today. Also, and I popped into his stream for a bit, and he was talking about how bad this card was when he played it at the pre-pre-release, which makes me a little nervous. Ooh, okay. Next up, we've got Greenwood Sentinel. Uh, we don't need to spend much time on this. This is one in a green for a 2-2 with Vigilance. I gave it a C-, minus. you gave it a D+. Plus. Uh, we're pretty close there. I'm excited about this because of auras and a vigilant thing with an aura on it is good, but auras may be terrible, so I may be terrible. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at this as a two mana two two. I'm not excited about this card. Next up, we've got Oaken Form. If you're going to get some points, it's going to be for this card. Yeah. This is two and a green for an aura enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus three plus three. You gave us a C plus. I gave us a D. This is a lot of power and toughness. This is a lot of power and toughness until your opponent puts a luminous bonds on your creature or whatever the two in a blue minus six minus Dwind- zero dwindle. dwindle. Yeah, like there's some there's bounce. There's I just think you're going to get blown out. Yeah, I mean, you could absolutely be right. But this takes it out of the range of the burn spells. So this gives this like sort of removes red. So yes, luminous bonds ex- exist. Dwindle exists. There's bounce. There's disperse. There's the mana war variant. There are cards that exist. Your opponent has to have those cards in their deck and draw them. This, I think, can really run away with a game pretty early. This is sort of what I think the one with the wind of the format is. And if I'm going to be right about something in the format, it's going to be this. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I think Oaken Form is going to be good. Yeah, I, I certainly think that's a reasonable stance to take. And I, I'm willing to be wrong on this one. I just think there's enough stuff that's going to punish this that it's not going to be worth the risk. I think we keep wanting, after Auras, we're good in Ixalan, to like find that again. And I, I just don't think this is the set. 
Yeah, I, I hope you're right. I really do. Next up, we've got Talons of Wildwood. This is one and a green for an aura enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one, and has trample. And Talons of Wildwood has two and a green. Return Talons of Wildwood from your graveyard to your hand. You gave us a D. I gave us a C minus. So we sort of reversed roles on the auras here. How did this happen? Uh, I just think the trample's very relevant. I am excited about my aura granting trample when I'm making my creature bigger. And I like the fact that if I get bounced or if I get killed, I can pay mana to return Talons of Wildwood from my graveyard to my hand and like recast it. Like sort of similar to like a very clunky ranker. Oh my god. So what if this were an equipment that was like one in a green or it was two mana, it auto equipped when it entered the battlefield, but then the re-equip cost was five mana. I think the fact that it auto-equips when it enters the battlefield makes it better. I mean, the equip cost of five after your thing dies is obviously not exciting, but, I mean... The thing that you want to be suiting this up on already has trample. Colossal Dreadmaw's already got you covered, baby. Sure, but you might be jamming this on a fire elemental or something. I don't know. Oh, God. I, maybe D+. plus. I mean, I don't think it's a great card, but I do like the fact that it mitigates the risk of getting two for one and is going to be a recurring threat that your opponent's going to have to deal with. I think you, Ben Wernie, are, like, never going to cast this card. Challenge accepted, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Excellent. Wait, so do wait, I, wait, wait, wait. So do I earn a point when I cast the card? <laughs> no. Well, I, I mean, you, you, can, you can earn a point if you cast the card, I guess, but then you also have to give me your honest opinion <laughs> about what, how, <laughs> how good the card performs. Sure. All right. <laughs> Deal. Next up, we've got Declare Dominance. This is three green green for a sorcery. Target creature gets plus three, plus three until end of turn. All creatures able to block it this turn do so. I'm pretty high on this card. I gave it a B. I gave it a C plus. I think this is powerful. Yeah. I mean, I I get that this card is bad when you're behind, but at every other stage of the game, developing parity or when you're ahead, this card is a beating. So do you do you think this is this is pulling you into green? I think that's where I'm differing. Yes, like I think is... I am excited to play this card once I'm in green, but I am not, this does not make me want to play green. This seems really powerful, like, back-breaking kind of effect for Limited. It's not crazy for me to think that this is, like, gonna win you a race because it's gonna, like, kill the creature they just played or kill the creature that they, like, left back to block and trade or something. This is gonna break parity wide open and win you the game. This is gonna be great in developing to, like, curve out and play this. I just, the card just seems very strong to me. Yeah, it does a lot. I think those are, I think there's only specifics. I, yeah, I mean, there, you can craft scenarios where it's great, but I think there's also scenarios where it's going to be rotting in your hand or when you're behind or, you mm -hmm. know, like the thing you really want to kill with Declare Dominance is killing you so that they're never leaving it back. Like if you're dying to flyers, this doesn't solve that problem. Yeah, I'm not thinking about it like, like at that point of like killing the thing that you want to kill i'm not thinking about it like a removal spell I'm, i mean i'm thinking about it like a removal spell for my opponent in a way like i, I don't know I, I, this is a strong pull into green for me okay it's not for me i just think it's a good card once i'm in green cool the last card we're going to talk about here is dryad green seeker this is one in a green for a one three it has tap look at the top card of your library if it's a land card you may reveal it and put it into your hand I gave this a B minus, you gave it a B plus, which is, you know, we're both, this is both pulls into green for us, but you're, you're creeping into A territory with this guy. Yeah, this card is great. So how, how far away from Courser of Crefix do you think this card is? Uh, a full, a full letter grade. Courser of Crefix is one green green for the two four, and you can cast, you can play land cards from the top of your library, and when they enter the battlefield, you gain a life. I think this is way coarser. <laughs> I think this is way closer to coarser of Crufix than you do. Yeah, I mean, I would give coarser like an A minus and this a B minus. 
Yeah, I, I just think like two mana one three, I'm in for that. I'm in for blocking. It's tapping to draw you a card like I don't know what 50% of the time slightly less than 50% of the time 45% of the time yeah 45% of the time that's pretty huge and the fact that this can like this unlike Druid of the Cowl which is our like Llanowar Elf variant this you can keep up as a blocker and then activate this at your opponent's end step whereas like Druid to like use its mana ability you usually tap out on your turn so you can't use it as a 1-3 blocker so I definitely see that upside for sure. It's going to be outstanding on turn two. It's going to be outstanding on turn eight. Like it's going yeah. to help you find action later in the game. Action. All right, I'm going up to B. This card is strong. You're right. Moving on to artifacts. First one up is the equipment, the aforementioned Marauder's Axe. This is two mana for the equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two plus zero, and it has an equip cost of two. You gave this a C plus. I gave this a D plus. C plus is aggressive. It is aggressive. I mean, I'm just going to die on this like aggro or a hill that I've created for myself. But so we look at the past two times we've had cards like this. So we had Pirate's Cutlass in the Ixlon block, which was great. And we had Dagger of the Worthy in Amonkhet block in Hour of Devastation, which was not great. And that, I think, had to do with the speed of the format. Dagger of the Worthy was Marauder's Axe with Upside. It gave the creature Afflict 1. I think there's enough, like, the power level is flat enough of the creatures, and that evasion is going to, like, push through a lot of damage, and I think Marauder's Axe on some flyers is going to be really good. Yeah, I, the thing that comes, like, this is a question mark for me. I could certainly see putting a Marauder's Axe in my deck. I just don't know that you're going to need to pick it as highly as C+. Like, that's what I'm wondering. Is it really going to be that hot of a commodity as Pirate's Cutlass was in Ixalan? Right. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Like, if we're talking about grading ver- on, like, a... Is like this card will be good, but you don't need to like think of it as powerful because like you'll get one and you probably don't want to. Yeah, I could like bump it down to a C if that's how we're grading it. But I think like power level wise, it could be in C plus territory. Yeah, but I th- and you're only putting it in aggressive decks. That's why I was in the D range with it. I think it's only going in aggressive decks, and I just don't think you're going to need to spend like a pick on it. I think you're going to get one if you want one. All right, I'll go synergy C plus. Next up, we've got Millstone. This is two mana for an uncommon artifact that has the ability to tap. Target player puts the top two cards of their library into their graveyard. Similar to our discussion on that blue enchantment, you gave it an F. I gave it a Synergy C+. If you want to win, don't put this card in your deck. If you want to have fun, do put this card in your deck. The last card we're going to look at here is Suspicious Bookcase, probably the worst named magic card I can imagine. This is two mana for an 0-4 with Defender, and it has three tap target creature can't be blocked this turn. I gave this a B minus, you gave it a C, but I think you like, I think you don't like this card, but I think you recognize that it's powerful. Yeah, just, I initially gave it a C because I was thinking that it was only going to go in aggro decks, really. Like, I th- I already thought it was powerful, but then I was thinking it was only going to go in aggro decks, so I gave it a C. But it is super good. But then I was thinking, like, this is just a good finisher for a control deck, too. Like, it blocks well for you, and then later in the game, once you've stabilized, you pay your three mana for a few turns in a row, and you kill your opponent with whatever, like, four or five you've got lying around. This card's just so powerful, and it's so hard to interact with. I think it's going to be a removal magnet. I totally agree. I was thinking about when I first read this card, I was thinking about it wrong. I was like, this is like at at odds with itself because like it wants to block, but then it's like tapping out and not being able to block to give something unblockable, which is like an aggressive move. But Travis today was like, no, 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 like it blocks early and then it turns your creatures into unblockable threats in the late game. So like I was thinking about the duality happening at the same time rather than happening at different parts of the game, which it sounds like you sort of like were like, oh, I get it. It's just like good in a control deck, too. Yeah, that was what happened to me also. I think this is just a good card. I'll, I'll join you on B minus. 
All right, that's going to do it for the cards where we had like the biggest discussion points to have. It's time for us to rank our commons and uncommons. What do you got for us in white, Ben? In white, at number three, I've got Pegasus Courser. That's two and a white for the one, three with flying. We just saw this card in Dominaria. And when it attacks, you can jump another creature into the air with it. Yeah, I have that at number two, actually. At number three, I've got Angel of the Dawn. This is four and a white for a 3-3 flyer. And when it enters the battlefield, all your creatures get plus one, plus one, and vigilance until end of turn. I think this is going to be a fantastic top end for for aggro decks or go-wide decks or both. Yeah, that card is great. That probably should be in my top white commons. It was so hard for me to choose. I ended up leaving that out because it is five mana, but I also sort of made that mistake with Cloud Reader Sphinx and Dominaria. That card's going to be great, and it would not shock me if after week one that ends up in my top white commons. Yeah, I mean, spoiler, I think white is really deep in the common department. Yeah. At number two, I've got Star Crowned Stag. That's three and a white for the three three that when it attacks, you tap target creature and opponent controls. Why did you that's that's not in your top three. Why did you leave that out? I just felt like I, I gave a nod to the cards that were evasive on their own. But uh, that card could definitely you know, I had to put spoiler. I had to put Luminous Bonds first, I felt like and then I just gave the other two slots to the flyers. But like that card is really good, too. Yeah, I also had Luminous Bonds at number one. I was thinking maybe they're going to be some sweet like Pegasus Courser into Starcrown Stag draws where then oh, you're yeah. like you jump your Starcrown Stag. And if they do happen to have a flying blocker for your Pegasus Courser, you get to tap it down with Starcrown Stag. I just thought like maybe those two cards in tandem were going to be a pretty big punch. But the thing about Pegasus Courser, if I've learned anything from Dominaria, is that I just can have anything. I can have Pegasus Courser into anything or anything into Pegasus Courser. And it's such a grown test. Yeah, for sure. The card is so oppressive. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how the stag, the courser, and the eagle end up shaking out. Like, I think it's Mm -hmm. just impossible to probably predict accurately at this point. So after a week, I'm sure we'll have an update for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Uncommon, I think we're lined up here. Number two, I've got Herald of Faith. This is three white white for a four three angel with flying. And when it attacks, you gain two life. Yeah, that card is just really strong. Life gain matters. That card is synergistic and powerful. Mm -hmm. At number one, I've got Hiromancer's Cage, and you do as well. This is three and a white for the enchantment that is an O-ring style effect. Exile target non-land permanent. Blue is one of the colors where I think we differ on quite a bit. Number three, this was tough for me. Like number one was easy, and then figuring out number two and three was tough. I gave the number three spot to Essence Scatter, one and a blue counter target creature spell, but that could be wrong. I don't know. Essence Scatter's been playable certainly and Mm -hmm. good if i remember correctly in core sets i remember you know essence scatter countering stuff that i really cared about i just left it out because it's a counter spell in limited but certainly could see that creeping into the top three commons my number three was avon wind mage it was two and a blue for a two two flyer and essentially had prowess whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell i think it gets plus one plus one until end of turn I left that card off, but that could that was my like biggest I was thinking about that versus Essence Scatter. I gave num- my number two spot to a flyer, but it's Snapping Drake. That's a three and a blue for the three two with flying. Oh interesting. I left that totally out of my top comments. So back yeah. to can I kinda of back to Avon Windmage and ask you a question? Yeah. So Bloodwater Entity in our devastation, how much did you like that card? I liked it a lot. And so is leaving off that putting an instant or sorcery on top of your deck that big of a knock? I just, I just think Avon Windmage is super powerful. Like blue-red is sort of seeded to be a spells deck. There's also like the blue-red uncommon is one blue-red uh, for the 0-4 Drake that gets power boost equal to the number of instants and sorceries in your graveyard. I just think that in tandem with Avon Windmage is going to be a pretty sick build-around deck in blue-red potentially. Yeah, you definitely could be right. I mean, I do think tacking off the ability to like 
put a spell from your graveyard on top of your library does matter if we're comparing it to Bloodwater Entity, but maybe not by that much. Did Bloodwater Entity have straight prowess also? Uh-huh, which I, I found out today they're just, like, moving away from. They're just, like, not going to do that anymore. Oh, prowess is is apparently maybe too powerful or too complex or whatever i I forget what it was but we're moving away from it Hmm. yeah i just went straight straight snapping drake three power three power flyer for four just seems good no work necessary but maybe they even whatever is is pretty powerful in its own right at number two i've got aviation pioneer this is two and a blue for a one two and when it etbs you get a one one flying artifact creature token uh, I think 2-3 power and stats separated into a 1-2 and a 1-1 flyer is great. I think that's going to be another card that punishes X-1s. And there's sort of, in white-blue, there's sort of seeded to be like this Artifact Matters sub-theme. And I think mm-hmm. there's not a lot of artifacts that are great on their own right. And I do think Aviation Pioneer is a very good card. So I think it's going to be super important if you're trying to take advantage of Artifact Synergies. That's why I've got it as my number two common. Yeah, I dig that. Uh, We've got the same number one common in Dwindle. This is the blue aura removal spell. This is two and a blue for an enchantment aura. Enchanted creature gets minus six, minus zero. And whenever enchanted creature blocks, you destroy it. Yeah, how big of a drawback is that for Dwindle? The fact that they get a block once with the creature that you put Dwindle on. Totally fine. If you play Deep Freeze on a thing and they got to block once with it and then it died, you'd be thrilled. Right, it makes it a significantly better card. And minus yeah. six, minus zero is essentially killing most things. Right. I mean, it doesn't like remove activated abilities the way Deep Freeze did, but there's just not activated abilities floating around, really. No, not ones that are busted like there are in Dominaria. Yeah, I think this is, this is I think, tough to evaluate, but the fact that both of us feel pretty strongly about it being the number one blue common, I think, leads me to believe that it's going to be good. Yeah, moving on to the uncommons in the number two slot, I've got Horizon Scholar. It's five and a blue for a 4-4 Sphinx with flying, and when it enters the battlefield, you scry two. Yeah, I've got that as well, and my number one uncommon in blue is Exclusion Mage. This is two and a blue for the 2-2 Human Wizard. When it enters the battlefield, you return target creature and opponent controls to its owner's hand. Yeah, that's my number one common as well. I think that card's going to be a house, and yet another reason that I'm not on the Aura Bandwagon. (laughs) No. <laughs> can I just can I just keep like digging harder and harder? Ugh, I'm so gonna be wrong about this. Alright, in black, my number three uncommon is Sky March Bloodletter. It's back, baby. Two and a black for a two-two flyer. When it enters the battlefield, you drain the opponent for one. Yep, that's also my number three common. Number two, I've got Strangling Spores. It's three and a black for the instant. Target creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn. That's my number two as well. I'm not happy about it though. I think that card's gonna be fine. Ugh, I'm so upset about that card. And number one, we've got Lich's Caress. This is three black black. For the sorcery, destroy target creature, you gain three life. That card is a house that is also my number one common. The fact that you gain three life when you cast it, first of all, like is going to be outstanding in the life gain matters deck. If you've got some of those payoffs that care about you gaining life. And second of all, is just going to be like having a removal spell that gains you three life is something that's going to slow the format down. Every control deck in the history of control decks is interested in this card. The only thing I will say is that you just can't jam these. The first copy is like a B minus, but the second copy gets worse and the third copy gets worse. Like you just can't fill up your five drop slot with this effect because you're trading down on mana a lot with it. Yeah, but doesn't the doesn't the three life gain make up for that? I'm I'm like I think I'm thrilled to play like three of these. I think I'd rather have the effects that like contract killing gave or other things like that, where like you it gave the opportunity to double spell. To, like, play this into something. Interesting. I'm I'm higher on this than contract killing in a vacuum, I think. We'll certainly have to see. I definitely, definitely hear all the points you're making about life gain. Moving on to the uncommons, number two, Vampire Sovereign. 
This is three black black for a three four flying vampire. When it enters the battlefield, target opponent loses three life, and you gain three life. As MTA would say, the old drain and gain. So good. That's my number two as well. Number one, it's murder. Murder's back. One black black instant destroy target creature. Yep, that's also my number one card is great. I gave an honorable mention to Plague Mare. I really wanted to put that on here. That's the one black black for the 2-2. The one at ETBs gives everything minus one, minus one. I could maybe see it edging out Vampire Sovereign. Those two are so close for me. Yeah, I think it'll just depend what the prevalence of X1s looks like. Moving on to the red commons. In number three, I've got Bogart Brute. It's two and a red for a 3-2 Goblin. I think Goblin is very relevant there with Menace. Yeah, mine number three as well. Number two, I've got Electrify. Three and a red instant deal four to target creature same for me and i assume we both have shock at number one then that's the single red instant deal two damage to any target yeah i actually cheated we're we're lined up for red entirely uh my number two uncommon is volcanic dragon that's four red red for the four four dragon with flying and haste yeah card is great and in number one lightning strike one in red for the instant deal three damage to any target yeah green we are gonna have some differences in green, my number three common is Giant Spider. Three and a green for the two four with reach. That doesn't shock me that you put that there. And I could certainly see that being right because green really struggles to block flyers. Yeah, like it just feels like looking at the past of like Grazing Whiptail and Mammoth Spider being so important to green decks. I just think Giant Spider is going to overperform. Yeah, I could certainly see that. And number three, I've got Elvish Rejuvenator, and boy, do I hope that is the number three <laughs> top green common as much as you talked trash about it. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see. That's going to be probably the biggest mover or shaker for us. Uh, number two, I've got Rabid Bite. That's the one in a green punch spell. Target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to target creature and opponent controls. Yeah, that's my number one common. I think those punch cards are great. And in number two, I assume this is your number one. In number two, mm -hmm. I've got Druid of the Cowl. That's one and a green for a one, three. Tap to add green to your mana pool. Yep, that's my number one common for sure. So why did you put that ahead of Rabid Bite? Just feels like the mana dorks are what green does best. That green ramps better than it has a fight spell, you know, punch spell. I just think this card in multiples is great. Um, it crafts, it like lets you like sort of craft a game or craft a deck around it. Like, you know, that you can get out your, your dread maws a turn sooner. Just feels like what green wants to do to me. I buy it. I just think the, if rabid bite were a fight card, I'd be a lot less excited about it. The fact that it's a punch card. I mean, you're still, it's still hard to play. Like you're going to get blown up by bounce or instant speed removal. But I think the punch sold me over drew to the cow, but could certainly see those swapping. Yeah. What do you got going on in the uncommon territory? My least favorite card in the set, two green green for a five three hexproof and like can't be blocked by black creatures, I think. Mm-hmm. A vine mare. Yeah, that's my number one. Oof. My number one common is Dryad Green Seeker. That's the one in a green one three that we talked about earlier that can tap, look at the top card of your library, and if it's a land, you draw it. I just think that effect is bonkers good, and I'm gonna be drafting that card early and often. Yeah, that should probably be my number two. I've got Declare Dominance there, but I'm going to swap that right now. Declare Dominance was the card we talked about. That's the plus three, plus three, and all creatures have to block it if able. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swap uh, to what you got there. So does that mean I get a point? Do you get points in the set review? Yeah, I think we have to wait until next we episode. Wait. Like, the point of this conversation, we're just like having a conversation here. Like, you're taking, <laughs> you know, I'm taking a stand on Giant Spider, you're taking a stand on Rejuvenator. I'm just I'm just trying to pick up edges where I can, man. Yeah, well, I, you need them. You're going to need those edges. Oh, savage. Savage. All right, that's going to do it. We made it. Oh, my God. That was a tough one. Why was that so tough? I don't think that was tough. It was great. We just had so much to talk about, but there like, weren't new mechanics or things to look at. 
It's weird that it, without new mechanics, I, I'm excited about this set. I mean, I'm going to be sad to be leaving Dominaria. I think that format was great. Love drafting it. But just like having to wait 10 days now before I get to play M19 is going to be brutal. All right. Well, next week, we're going to have not only the thoughts of our first weekend playing limited in seal online but we'll have some fun feedback or fun stories from our 15 hour stream yeah that's happening on july 6th so we'll be able to play some m19 on that day i think that friday is when the sealed stuff comes out early usually on magic online is that right mm-hmm. yeah so we'll we'll definitely get to sprinkle that in in our 15 hour stream and, and and over the weekend as well i'm looking forward to this i mean i don't think sealed for this format is going to be particularly fun or interesting but it's going to be magic so i'm going to play it absolutely Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. We're also going to set July 6th as the end date for our Dominaria treasure hunt. So if you've got any last screenshots you want to submit to be entered for a giveaway of a draft set, make sure you get those into us by July 6th. If you want to come check us out, you're certainly going to want to come check out the 15-hour stream. Follow us on Twitch. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Is it fair to announce that I will be taking the first shift? I think fifteen <laughs> hour stream. Okay. I think it is. I won the prize. I get to start the stream. I am at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Check us out. I'm gonna be taking the first shift of the fifteen hour stream. That's gonna be at nine AM and then we'll switch out seven and a half hours later. Ship it on over to Ben at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at those same usernames. And if you want to tweet at the podcast, you can tweet at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.